Welcome to the Dacus Report, hosted by Pacific Justice Institute founder and president Brad Dacus. For 25 years, PJI has counseled, represented, and defended people whose religious freedoms, parental rights, or sanctity of life have been obstructed or violated, all free of charge. We leave no one behind and level the playing field for Americans as they are subjected to the tyranny of the powerful. Now, here's Brad Dacus. Welcome to the Dacus Report. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. On today's show, we're going to talk about your rights. Uh, we're also going to talk about the military vax. It looks like it's going away, or is it? Uh, we're also going to be visiting uh, about some other issues dealing with public schools and a major court decision. Uh, to help me talk about these and other case matters that we have with us here now, uh, PJI attorney Emily Mimna, who is our uh, one of our, our senior liaison attorneys. Thank you so much, Emily, for joining us today. Hey, good morning and happy new year, Brad. Cases aren't slowing, are they? They're increasing every day, aren't they? Uh, absolutely. We, we have lots of opportunities to litigate, and of course, we always take them. And, you know, there's exciting change of foot right now, of course, as well, with new um, politicians and, and new, you know, for Nevada, we just had our new governor sworn in who you know, is pro-life, for example. So there is a great opportunity here as the new legislative season opens up for us. That's right. And I know that with the fact that we have these offices all across the United States is very, very strategic so that they can actually, uh, you know, testify before state legislators, maybe assist them. We're going to talk about that a little later on the show. But this is a really encouraging uh, opportunity as I see it. We still have a great Supreme Court. We have great federal judges. And, um, you know, it looks like the House of Representatives is one way or the other is not going to uh, be uh, any, any worse than it's been. It will inevitably be better and offering some legislation may get shot down. But uh, I definitely see some positives moving into 2023. Definitely, definitely. I understand that um, we've got some, some, a lot of great news out there. However, California is enacting a, um, a deadly law coming into an effect, literally a deadly law. Uh, what is this deadly law that people should be concerned about? AB 2223, which has been referred to, and I think accurately, as the infanticide bill, because that's, I, I'm sorry to say, that's what it does. I reread it once again this morning uh, because, <laughs> I, you know, you're looking, you're always hoping that something has changed, but of course it has not. Um, there, there were positive changes that were made during the amendment process, but not enough. And so what it allows is it completely immunizes um, any pregnant woman and anyone who aids or abets her for actions or omissions that result in the death of a child in 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 womb, um, and then it extends. This is the this is the this is the really horrifying part to my mind, and I think the public needs to be aware of this, which is that it immunizes the woman, the the pregnant woman, and anyone who aids and abets her for actions or omissions resulting in perinatal death, which is a term meaning death after birth. So if your child survives abortion and you choose not to provide life-saving care for that child, you cannot be prosecuted under any civil or criminal law in the state of California. That's what this law says, and it's going into effect now. So just hypothetical, and I don't want to get too much into this, but say we, so there's a woman, she's having an abortion, say she's in her sixth month, seventh month, and you know, the, the baby is supposedly aborted. The doctor is sloppy. They often are very sloppy. Um, and the baby's born, and the mother hears the baby crying, 
she can say, the baby's crying? I thought you killed the baby. Aborted it. Kill it. Kill it now. Kill it. Uh, and the, the doctor kills the baby or the registered nurse kills the baby. There's no, there's no murder there. The fact that they stabbed a baby, killed a baby, the baby's crying. Am I exaggerating? Well, under HSC Health and Safety Code 123467 parts A and B, it would say that if you could say that that child died because of causes, quote, in utero, right? So because of actions taken while the child was still in the womb, if you say that that was the cause of the death, then no, you cannot be prosecuted. And I, and I should point out here that, of course, PJI has uh, very, very voraciously, no, no uncertain terms, opposed this legislation all the way through. Right. And, and believe right. it or not, it was even more horrific before. So there was a change that at least narrowed it and made it not as terrible based yeah. on, made after we objected. So if the baby is, is suffering and bleeding because of the attempted abortion, but the baby is, is born alive and is crying, and the doctors say, eh, let the baby bleed it out. Yeah, we're not going to do anything, even though they could save the life of the baby. That's legal. That is clearly yeah. legal, and it's infanticide. Uh, the law, I understand, is also has some very general language. So it's, it seems that um, you know, it's, it's very, you know, very concerning about how it still could apply in, in some other situations. But it's, uh, it's very alarming that you, know, you can't even investigate the wrongful death of a baby uh, in the, under these circumstances without being potentially civilly liable. You could be sued if you're, say, in the, the coroner's office and you're bringing an action or investigating. You could actually be civilly sued just for investigating a possible murder under these circumstances, correct? That, that is true. And as you point out, there's ambiguous language. So if you say, okay, well, did this child die as a result of a cause in utero, i.e. an attempted abortion, or did it die because of actions taken after the child was born, praise be, alive, you, you can't actually investigate it, or at least you can't do so as an, you know, an honest uh, coroner without risking being exposed for you know, thousands of dollars in civil liability. So there, it's obviously, A, not holding the people who have taken the actions or omissions accountable, and B, preventing those who are, in theory, tasked with investigating suspicious deaths stopping them from actually doing their jobs as well. All in the name, of course, of promoting abortion. At PJI, we exist to serve everyone in need of counsel, representation, and defense of their religious liberties, parental rights, and the sanctity of life. We don't take cases based on how high profile they are. We are workhorses, not show horses. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. You know, what's interesting is that uh, there are so many examples of people alive today who were the bot had botched abortion, or they were the, the victim of botched abortion, so to speak. So they have burns on their skin and things, but they lived nonetheless uh, because the baby was born. And under the law, they couldn't say, oh, shoot, we didn't kill the baby in the, in the womb. The baby's still alive. They couldn't kill the baby. Those people are alive today. Of course, they're suffering from permanent harm and injury, but they're still glad that they're alive. I don't know any of them who's decided to, to kill themselves uh, because of the terrible thing that happened to them. And yet, this now makes it more difficult for even those, those people would be, be dead. They would have been subsequently probably killed. Uh, there's, I know a gentleman 
who was, I call him a gentleman, uh, a doctor who was prosecuted multiple, multiple times for killing uh, babies after they were born or allowing the baby to die after they were born. Uh, he's behind bars probably for the rest of his life. Theoretically, many of these, quote, you know, these convictions would have been waived had this under this law and he would have gotten away with it. I think this is very telling about where we are, Emily, in our society, especially states like California, that they, they have this kind of horrific legislation. Of course, they passed Proposition 1, which goes into effect, which allows for uh, the killing, the, of the aborting of a baby all the way up to the moment the baby's born, right? Um, and this was affirmed by the voters of California, right? It, it, it is. And I think what, what you point out, Brad, is that we have to continue to fight and win over hearts and minds because, you know, we had this wonderful victory from the Supreme Court and finally recognizing what we all knew, which is that there is no federal constitutional right to abortion. And there is no reason, no legal reason from any federal law stopping us tomorrow from stopping abortion in all 50 states, except the fact that we don't have the will yet from the voters and the politicians to do it. So so I, I really think it's an important way to start this year with the resolve, if you will, the resolution that abortion is far from over, that the work is just beginning right. and that we do need to go state by state. And again, as you point out, we have all these strategic offices now across the country. You know, really, really perfect timing. Uh, it couldn't be better. Yeah, you're right. It's It could not be better for us to have this many offices that we do at this time God's providence is so evident as far as I'm concerned. With regard to the, the legislation, you said this could have been a lot worse. We do have a Center for Public Policy uh, in California. We also have you know, this participation regarding states and, uh, and state legislatures. But uh, it could have been a lot worse, right? There was actually some language that would have made this even more di diabolical, correct? Yeah, believe it or not, it was even broader as originally drafted, where it immunized you, um, you the person aiding and abetting um, a pregnant woman to killing this child. Um, as long as you could tie the cause of the death back to any pregnancy-related uh, cause, you, you could not be prosecuted. And the law begins with notwithstanding any other law. Okay, so so we, of course, objected to this. Matt McReynolds, who writes brilliant, brilliant letters um, to the legislature and points out all the legal reasons why the, these laws, these proposed laws are deeply flawed. After he submitted his letter, they at least changed it or narrowed it to say that you had to be able to tie the cause of death back to uh, a cause that occurred, quote, in utero. So obviously not the legislation we wanted, but not as as right. horrific as it originally was proposed. Yeah, in fact, there's, there's several bills. I know there's three that were uh, shot down and defeated, I think principally because of the involvement of Pacific Justice Institute, uh, giving the legal muscle, if you will, as to the potential ramifications of this legislation, even the unconstitutional aspects of the legislation. What are those, those, those examples of victory that I think people should really appreciate moving into 2023? Right. So, for example, SB 866 proposed that in California be able to uh, vaccinate children without parental consent when it came to the COVID vaccine. So if you were 15 years old, you could agree to get the COVID vaccine no matter what your parents thought and without their, your parents' knowledge. That was a proposed bill in California. PJI's Center for Public Policy stepped up. Again, Matt McReynolds drafted a brilliant rebuttal pointing out the manifold legal and constitutional issues with that bill. It has not come into effect. It has been defeated and very, very grateful for that. 
Uh, two other examples, SB 871, AB 1993, uh, each proposing universal vaccination requirements for students and or workers across the entire state of California when it came to the COVID vaccine. Again, defeated, very grateful to be starting the new year without those laws in place. Yeah, had those become law, I imagine we would have seen, I was going to say, uh, you know, a mass exodus uh, from California. We already have that. Uh, it would have been just a mega mass, mass exodus at that point, uh, millions leaving the state if the government required them to have this one of these controversial vaccines in order to be in school, in order to work. I mean, this would have been a, an economic catastrophe, much less a serious violation of the rights of these uh, individuals. Of course, I know that we would have challenged it without question, probably in the, in the courts, in federal court. Uh, but uh, it's important to recognize these things were defeated, and they were defeated principally, in my opinion, because of the work of the PJI's Center for Public Policy that was actively engaged in defeating this legislation. But going to 2023, we would have had a nightmare for the state of California, and I think we're going to see similar nightmares prevented in other states as legislators try to, uh, and especially in blue states, try to, to push this kind of clear violations of freedom and liberty with regards to uh, people in those states. Um, I understand that we also had a, a positive impact on being an advocate for some good legislation. Uh, what's the good legislation that we're advocating that came into effect? That's right. We absolutely, we're not just trying to defeat bills. When we can, we look for opportunities to support and encourage bills. And so for give one example, I guess I'll, I'll give you an example of here in Nevada, there was a proposal to amend some of the curriculum for schools. And this is, um, this is now in effect, this came into effect last year. And originally it was going to intrude into the homeschool education system. And Nevada actually has a very brilliantly drafted, and I would say a pioneering example of law really uh, empowering parents who want to homeschool their children. We have this great legislation. And so when this law was introduced, which which was not intended, I would say, originally to intrude into the homeschool um, curriculum, it nonetheless had that inadvertent consequence. So the, the state of Nevada fortunately listened to homeschool advocates. And because of that, the, the law has come into effect to amend curriculum for public schools and for private schools, but not for homeschools. So we were really grateful to see that. And as we start this new legislative season in Nevada and in other states, we are very grateful when people see uh, see good bills going forward or think that we could have good bills going forward, that they please reach out to us because we love to support bills, not just oppose them. Yeah. And sometimes I know, Emily, that, that you know there's a bill and activists say, oh, this is a great bill. Oh, this is going to be really good. And they're all excited about it. And then they contact us and they say, take a look at it. And we look at it. Sometimes we say, oh, shoot, this is not a good bill. It's either not drafted properly or it's got some hidden things in it that are going to be disasters or violating your rights and freedoms. So you're absolutely right. People need to contact us if it's good legislation or they think it's bad legislation either way. Uh, so we can uh, review it through our Center for Public Policy. That's so valuable. Did you know that PJI is the only legal defense nonprofit in America that serves state citizens by fighting state legislatures across the country to ensure unconstitutional or corrupt bills don't become unconstitutional or corrupt laws? 
That's right, for over 12 years, PJI's Center for Public Policy has generated success by standing firm in opposition to unconstitutional or immoral state bills, which makes it easier for our allies in the legislatures to kill these kinds of wrong-headed and even depraved pieces of legislation. Keep current on PJI's work on all the legal challenges we face on a daily basis, including our work through our Center for Public Policy, by signing up for our Legal Insider email newsletter at pji.org. Now, back to the Dacus Report. Now, uh, I understand also there's some legislative successes in, in, in California in addition to that. Is that right? Uh, well, we're we're still monitoring some bills, so I don't want to speak too soon about those. But we do have some some positive, um, let's say, bills in in the wings that I, I, we are looking forward to announcing. But I don't want to comment on those quite yet. Okay, good. And I just think want people to appreciate this because oftentimes we talk about all our litigation. We have, you know, I think about over 120 cases now in active litigation all across the country. Uh, we, you know, are just just one of those cases. For example, is a class action suit representing about a thousand employees. Uh, alone, so we've uh, we do a lot of litigation work, but I want people to understand this is a very unique aspect of our legal ministry, and that we're engaged upfront, upstream, if you will, with regard to legislation. And I think that's uh, should be real encouragement to people that we're on multiple fronts, having an impact as well as empowering them with great resources to know what their rights are and to know that they can count on us to go to bat for them without charge and that we don't just cherry-pick high-profile cases. We really want to make sure everyone gets help. So people should not hesitate to contact us. And I encourage them also, while I'm at it, uh, to go ahead and go to our website and uh, take a look at the, uh, the Legal Insider newsletter, folks. If you want to sign up for that, I encourage you to do that. It's, it's simply pji.org. We've got great resources there, and uh, I encourage you to, to people to take advantage of that. Now, uh, there's some good legislative news so with regards to ending the military... Ma- vaccine mandate is that right yeah there 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 is and and it's it's a little bit nuanced but it is at the end of the day it is good news which is this we're talking about of course the national defense authorization act for fiscal year 2023 rolls right off the tongue um, and that was signed into into law on december 23rd and among other things it requires that the secretary repeal or rescind the current universal, basic universal requirement for COVID vaccination for all active members of the military. And so what, what it says is that within 30 days of signing, so that would be January 22nd, 30 days after December 23, the secretary must repeal and rescind that COVID vaccine mandate. And if the and then there's some teeth if if the military does not do that. So for example, if the if the secretary said, well, go ahead and make me, Okay. Then every 90 days, the the secretary would have to start issuing reports explaining uh, the status of all the religious exemption requests and why those exemptions haven't been granted. And it would be very onerous. So the expectation is that this this mandate will be rescinded. And that, of course, is very welcome news. It's interesting. So this is legislation that was passed by the existing House of Representatives and Senate, signed into law by the existing president that actually limits and restricts the actions of this administration when it comes to people in the military. I think there's been a, a lot of pushback and pressure to facilitate this. Uh, my understanding is that the military is also struggling right now, really struggling with recruitment efforts. Do you think that may have been a factor also? Uh, it's hard to see how it could not have been. The military has been struggling with recruitment and even retention 
Uh, for example, the Army failed to meet its stated goals for recruitment this year by 25 percent. That's no small number. And, and you know, to be fair, I, I think we can say that they've had troubles attracting and retaining people prior to the, the pandemic. But it, the reporting seems to be clear that there have been, you know, it's a lot less appealing when you have whole swaths of people told you're not welcome unless you're willing to get a COVID vaccine. And on top of that is the kicker, I guess, the COVID kicker, is that during the lockdowns, the military couldn't go on campus to recruit. Wow. Okay. So so that was a, a double whammy uh, handicap. Um, I understand that uh, pre-mandate, only 23% of young people can meet the military's fitness educational and morale uh, or moral requirements. So lockdowns equal recruiters locked out of school events. I mean, so they had some really tough, tough scenarios having to deal with this uh, moving forward. Do you think, well, will lifting the mandate resolve all of the issues for servicemen and women uh, represented by PJI right now? I know we're, we're going to bat for a lot of them right now who are hanging by the thread, uh, being booted out, dishonorably discharged. Uh, will this have any impact on our litigation that, that is taking place on behalf of men and women in, arm, uh, in, in uh, military service? Yes and no. I, the, the short answer is yes, of course, it will be helpful not to have this mandate imposed upon them. But that does not solve all of our problems. For example, about 8,000 more, the, the approximate numbers, 8,000 people have already been discharged because of the vaccine. Now, some of those people may not want to go back into the military. You can certainly understand that choice. But there are others who have been already discharged because of their inability to get the COVID vaccine. And, and this legislation does not require the military to reinstate those persons. So that's one issue. And secondly, what it, it, the other thing that the legislation doesn't say is it doesn't say anything about you know reducing deployment or changing training because of your inability to get a COVID vaccine. So that issue remains, and of course, is something that PGI will still be uh, you know addressing and dealing with going forward. So it's good news, but the fight continues. Right. So someone is in the military who is uh, being punished by saying, "Okay, yeah, you, you, you're not going to be deployed, though." Uh, you, you can be in the military, but you're going to be set over here like a, some kind of a leper. That We still have that scenario, even though there's nothing scientific or logical to support that. These vaccines, we now know, do not prevent transmission. So this is just punitive efforts. In fact, if the person has a natural immunity, then there's absolutely nothing to support this because a natural immunity has greater effect for preventing transmission than people who are vaxxed. So this is just these, so these bullying tactics, if you will, there's a good chance they could still continue under this administration, under Defense Secretary, Secretary of Defense Austin. Uh, you know, he's been a huge disappointment to the men and women in the military and have been very discouraging, I know, to many. Um, so that's, that's where we're, what we're, we're dealing with there. And there, as you just already mentioned, there is still about 8,000 plus who've been dishonorably discharged. It makes absolutely no sense that they're not being invited back in? I mean, given this new policy. It, it doesn't. It, 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 when you know that the military needs people, people may have, for example, heard about the lifting of various restrictions on uh, recruits with tattoos, right? That was another you know, another barrier to entry, as it were. And, and so you, you, you see certain changes being made, but then you see these other obvious changes you could make and it may be the case that these 8,000 individuals may may choose to come back, but they, you know they may not, um, and, and we really don't know. And we do know that there's approximately 16,000 requests for religious accommodation still pending as of December. So you have 16,000 more people 
who, you know, servicemen and women who have volunteered and sacrificed and, and they're still, you know, they're still waiting. And as you point out, they, they may be concerned that they're still going to be subjected to discriminatory treatment, even though they're not going to be outright discharged. Um, our military is weaker now than it was two years ago. Um, we're trying to get caught up on producing military weapons and uh, systems that we have uh, been uh, trying to appropriate to the Ukraine or to Taiwan. And, um, you know, to have this as a, another setback in our military, to not have enough men and women to, to fill these critically needed positions for our national defense, it's unacceptable. And people should be outraged about this uh, moving forward. I just want to say to people out there who have a loved one or know of someone who is in this situation, they're in the military, they may be pending having a dishonorable discharge. I want them to not to hesitate to contact us at PJI. We have a specialist attorney in an office in Philadelphia that is helping a lot of people in that situation. So don't hesitate to contact us. Just go to our website, pji.org. We would love the opportunity to continue to serve you. Just visit pji.org and click the Legal Insider button to sign up for our email newsletter. At PJI, we help individual employees, employers, business owners, pastors, students, citizens of every stripe through our practical resources, counsel, representation, and defense, all free of charge at pji.org. PJI is an island of stability and assurance in our ever-churning sea of legal and societal chaos. We are here for you. So folks, just remember, it's our God-given freedoms we're talking about. Now, let's choose to keep them. I'm Brad Dacus, president of the Pacific Justice Institute. Let's continue the fight for your freedoms. <laughs>